0: Hi, I'm Jessica. And when I'm not drinking all the coffee, watching Razorback sports or hanging out with my family of boys, it's my passion to help elementary music teachers just like you find your unique teaching style. My goal with this podcast is to share helpful tips, strategies, and to give you the motivation you need to gain momentum in your teaching so you can continue being the music teacher rock star you already are. Well, welcome back to episode 52 of the Elementary Music Teacher Podcast. As you're listening right now, you can hear my voice sounds, I don't know, like maybe it doesn't sound as bad wherever you're listening from, but I am, I don't know, my throat's been bothering me. I'm not sick, but I think it's just allergies, which who gets summer allergies? That's the most random thing ever. But anyways, here we are. So, but anyways, today's episode is music teaching resources and how to choose them. This is one of the main questions besides lesson planning and um, classroom management that I get asked the most. Now, I'm going to present this in a way that's a little different than you may have heard before, because um, in a couple of weeks, I am going to share a few of my favorite resources. But for now, today is going to be a little different. It's going to just be about you're thrown a bunch of resources and how in the world are you supposed to choose what to teach from them, okay? It gets a little overwhelming. So we're going to break down today in a step-by-step approach exactly how to choose resources and how to use the stuff inside of them, okay? (laughs) So you may, you probably do go to in-person conferences and workshops and things like that. And some of you go to many of them. Some may just go to a few. Some of you, you know, maybe even travel across the country. Um, you may be listening to this, and you may be may even be a presenter. Um, but every conference workshop you go to, they all have different materials usually that they sell. Um, what am I trying to say? In the lobby or wherever they have their material set up, right? And this is, it's amazing because you can look through these resources in person instead of just online and you can flip to the pages to see what exactly the resources contain. But um, on top of that, it is a little overwhelming when you see all these different resources and you kind of want everything. But you sometimes don't know which ones to choose because there's so many and maybe you're afraid of missing out. And you're like, wait, if I get this book and not this one, am I going to be missing out? Am I not going to be getting the right one? It gets a little overwhelming knowing what to choose. And I so remember that. So first of all, let me remind you of my experience. (laughs) I've shared this story before, but I'm not going to go into the whole story. I just want to share this part of it. When I first walked into my very first teaching job, I had no resources except for some super old textbooks that, when I say old, um, they were (laughs) what you would consider from the olden days. My seven-year-old son basically calls anybody who's eight years old and older from the olden days. So anyways, so they weren't really from the olden days. They were maybe like, I can't remember the exact year, but 15 years old, 20 years old, something, older than the year I was teaching. So they were old. Like, you know, when you look at the cover of a book and you can see the child on the book and they're wearing clothes that they weren't currently selling in stores. Yeah, you know, you got some old textbooks. That's all I had. And so not only that, I remember in college, learning about the different teaching methods, but I mean, all I knew is about them and sort of kind of like a, um, you know, like the super quick version of how to teach with those teaching methods, but not really like, we didn't really go into what resources, like, how do you get resources? What do you teach with the resources when you get them? And so it was a little overwhelming in whether you just finish your first year teaching and you're listening to this, whether you're about to go into your first year teaching or whether you've been teaching several years, maybe you're still spinning your wheels and you're like, I have, still have no idea what to do. It is very overwhelming. So let's slow things down and really focus on a step-by-step what resources to choose and how to choose them, okay? So the first thing I want to talk about is um, my mentor teacher, by the way, She didn't know a thing about music, so she couldn't really help me. (laughs) And so maybe I've talked to so many music teachers online. I do some one-on-one like music teacher mentorship calls online, and a lot of the things I hear too is these music teachers telling me they don't have a mentor teacher, or there are music teachers in their district, or maybe they're teaching at a private school, but they don't want to bother them and ask questions because they don't know, you know, if you're busy, you can imagine the music teacher down the street is busy. So, it gets a little overwhelming not knowing where to go for help, right? So, I felt stuck, and maybe you feel stuck too. But let's go back to those old textbooks. I want to start there. So, what I did is instead of feeling defeated and being like, oh, woe is me, I don't have anything to teach from, I just said, you know what? There's got to be some hidden gems inside of these textbooks. So, I'm going to take them home and look through them. And then, lo and behold, what do you know? Some of the songs I had just learned in college, I had just had my cooperating teacher when I was student teaching tell me to teach. There was a lot of words, teach, right? Teach, teach, teach. <laughs> but they were. there was a lot of those same songs inside these textbooks. You see, the thing is, music is music. No matter if it's from textbooks that are 20 years old, if it's from the newest and latest updated resources, if it's you know, resources you're getting at a conference or workshop, if it's music coming from a Qadai or ORF level, if it's music you've just found online somewhere through lesson plans, teacher, pay teacher, you may have noticed by now that a lot of the music you're finding, you're also seeing inside textbooks. You're also seeing inside different teaching resources. You're also being taught at different conferences or workshops. The reason is, is there's not a whole lot of reinventing the wheel when it comes to teaching elementary music. It just feels like that. Now, it doesn't mean that (laughs) this is not me saying that don't go to a training, don't go to a, a level, don't go to a workshop because that's not what I'm saying at all. Those are all very much needed and very, very important because Even though there's no reinventing the wheel and a lot of the material is the same, it's all going to be presented in different ways. I am just so amazed at every single time I see a different person present, maybe the same song I've already heard presented a million times maybe not a million, but you see what I'm saying. <laughs> They're going to have a different spin on it or presented it with a different game or a different body percussion activity to try or a different instrument um, activity to try or different movement or different um, speech patterns or whatever, you see what I'm saying? Then the presenter that I listened to a year ago because just like every piece of music maybe is the same but being presented in a different way, every presenter is different and you are different. You are you. I want to present it this way for a little bit. I'm a classically trained pianist, okay? I started my degree, I think I've shared this story, but as a piano performance major, I switched to music education my sophomore year of college. Still to this day, I play piano for a lot of different weddings and things, but that's besides the point. What I'm trying to get at is, like, let's say when I played Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata, one of my piano, one of my pianist friends also played the Moonlight Sonata, but she had a different spin on it. We don't have the same hands, the same brains, the same way of playing. We didn't have the same piano teachers growing up, so we learned to play just a tiny bit differently. We probably even had different piano teachers in college. So we played the, the Moonlight Sonata with different nuances. Slightly different dynamics and a touch of our own style. So, do you see where I'm going with this? All those, the, although those textbooks were from the olden days, right? I'm putting that in air quotes. <laughs> Some of the songs in there are the same exact songs I had also learned at different workshops and from different resources. But you're going to see the same, you know, kind of same songs presented in different ways. Even if you get like two different resources to teach mallet instruments, for instance, you're going to see some of the same songs in there. Like I'm going to use one as an example, Alabama gal. That's a very, f- um, uh, well, not famous. Well, I guess you could use the word famous. Popular is the word I'm looking for. Folk song that I have a book that presents it as a folk dance. And another one that teaches basically the instruments, the mallet instruments and a rhythm instrument pattern to put with the song. Are either of those wrong? No, of course not. So what I'm saying is even if you get a couple resources and they have the same songs in them, they're going to present them in different ways. One might be focused on movement and another one might be focused on instruments, and that's okay. A lot of the music we're teaching to our elementary our elementary students is folk music. It means it's music that's been around for many, many years, Right? So just like different parts of the country or even parts of the world have different accents or different languages or ways of speaking, the same goes with the music. Different folk songs will have different interpretations of how you want to teach it. Notice I said how you want to teach it. Yes, that's exactly what I meant to say. Because even though the books, like I just mentioned, there's going to be books teaching you how to teach a folk dance or instruments you get to always put your own spin on it because you're the music teacher, you have your own unique set of students, your own unique classroom, and your own unique school that no one else has but you. So a clinician might present the same song, Alabama Gal, let's use that as an example again, in a different way than even the two books told me to do it. So then it all gets confusing. So what you do with that information is you say, this book says to do this, this says this, and maybe this clinician or teacher or professor or whoever said to do it this way. So what do you do? You go with what you're comfortable with. So what I like to do is when I hear a song being presented to me in a lot of different ways, I don't try to do all the things because that gets overwhelming, not just for you, but for your students. So Maybe you want to teach them a dance, but maybe part of some instruments, but not the whole entire instrumentation. So teach the folk dance and just maybe split a small group of students to do a xylophone part. Or you have part of your students doing a xylophone part, a few of them doing a drum part, and then the rest of the class learns the folk dance. Whatever you want to do is whatever's comfortable to you is completely fine. All right? You're probably thinking, okay, that's all great and all, but how do you choose resources? You're telling me how to use the resources, but how the heck do I choose them? All right, so even though I found a lot of useful things in the textbooks I had, I knew I wanted more. So what I'm gonna encourage what I want to encourage you to do, make a list, kind of like Santa does, right? And he checks it twice, okay? I really wish I could talk today, by the way, because I know I sound like an old man frog, but it is what it is, you guys. (laughs) I'll sound better next time. Anyways, make a list of everything you want to do with your students, okay? Don't make a list of resources yet or books you want. Just make a list of what you want to do with your students. Then down the list a little bit, make a list of any budget you have. Or if you know you're going to be getting a budget this coming school year, write that down. I know sometimes districts are really good about randomly handing out stipends to just the music teachers on random years. So if that's one of those years for you, then awesome. Okay, and then begin researching. Now that can be that can mean a lot of different things. You can research online, you can research by asking others, you can research by going through any materials you have. Like I know in ORF level one, um, for example, there's a bunch of resources listed in the back, like in the index of the, um, I'm sorry, the glossary of, sorry, resources that they recommend. So I would go, do I pick every single resource from that list? Of course not. I would say, what do I want to do with my students? What's my budget? And then I look at that list and I would research each book to decide what do I need right now. But also ask around. Now, We already talked about you don't want to bother other music teachers, okay? But you know you have a couple of your, maybe friends from college. Maybe it's a music teacher that you collaborate with sometimes. Maybe it's someone you feel comfortable emailing just to ask, hey, would you choose this rhythm instrument book or this one and why? What do you like about each of them? But you know who else is your best friend? Amazon. (laughs) A lot of the resources you can honestly find on Amazon And here's the thing. The reviews are pretty good. The reviews people put on there are pretty good. And you can not only just read the reviews, but you can sometimes see sample pages or a list of songs or how they're presented just by clicking around sometimes on the images too. Okay, so just do some research, first of all, after you make your list. So, for example, let's talk about, let's break this down for an example. If you know, you know you want to teach boomwhackers, maybe you look on Amazon and you're going to see a ton of books on how to teach boomwhackers. So then you kind of maybe get overwhelmed to shut your computer off and walk away. No, let's not do that. Okay, so how do you choose? Choose based on your students' needs, what the reviews say, How long are you wanting to spend on boomwhackers? Maybe in a particular lesson, a nine weeks, are you wanting to cover it all square? Are you wanting to just do it with centers? Are you wanting to do it with whole class instruction? Or like I said, centers, which is small group instruction. Do you want to do it with just your lower upper, I'm sorry, your lower elementary or upper elementary or both? So then after you kind of know what you're needing and what you're wanting to do with your students, you can base Your decision on that and choose a book. And yes, I said a book that will teach boomwhackers based on your needs. This is how I went about choosing every single resource I own. Is the process tedious? Of course it is. But is it worth it? Yes. So here's the other cool thing about making a list. Even though you can look online for resources, my favorite way to choose resources honestly is in person. Because You can honestly flip through the books, you know, a little bit and look through them, really look at the instructions. A lot of times I don't go by the instructions that are listed there. I go by the song and might do what like one of the lesson plan steps the book says to do because I'm really, really big. You guys have heard me preach this about making a lesson your own. But when you're at those conventions, the cool things about making a list. Is then when you're tempted to want to buy every resource available there in that lobby or at all the booths, you'll be able to say the word no nicely, of course, because you know what you need. You know what you're actually going to use. Now, think of it like clothes shopping. Not that I, you know, have any expertise in this or anything, <laughs> but. If you're a shopper, or even if you're not, you'll you kind of understand this example. You might buy so many shirts, for example, that a few of them just hang there in your closet never to be worn again. It's the same with buying resources. Don't go crazy when choosing teaching materials because here's the thing. If you already have three books teaching folk dances, you probably don't need any more unless you want your students just dancing all day every day, which of course there's nothing wrong with that because the kids need to move. But you have a lot of other things you need You need to teach too, right? Remember, a lot of their material repeats itself too in the resources you own. So that's why it's really crucial to kind of look through them a little bit. And if you can't go to an in-person conference to look through these materials, then online you're going to be able to kind of compare and contrast and maybe make like a wish list of what you want and then kind of dwindle it down as you go. Um, So my suggestion is to just start off with one book per what you're wanting to teach at first. Then once you kind of get a handle on it, you'll be able to add a couple books per thing you're wanting to teach. But don't overwhelm yourself at first. I kind of went crazy at first and have, you know, so many different resources for so many different things. I never even got to some of the books. They just honestly just sat on my shelf because I didn't need them. You only see your students so many times per week and there's only so many, you know, so many songs that you can do with them that you're not going to be able to get through everything. And honestly, sometimes that's a good problem because maybe the following year you can go through, okay, what did I teach? And then you can look maybe through the resources you have that you didn't get to go through and maybe add some songs from those resources into your curriculum. But don't overwhelm yourself at first. So here's what you're going to do First. You're going to start off with one book for maybe recorders, mallet instruments, folk dances, movement exploration, rhythm instruments, and then other resources you'll pull from workshops or textbooks to teach singing or speech. Do you have to do all of that I just named? No. Do I realize that some of you are listening to this, do not even have any recorders or mallet instruments? Of course I do. Let's start with just a few resources at first. Don't go crazy and don't overwhelm yourself. And so don't forget also how much you can add to each activity, whether it's puppets, rhythm writing, improvising, music games. You need to leave time in your music classroom for good music exploration and fun. Yes, I said the word fun because so many times, I think music teachers get so bombarded with just teaching to the curriculum and teaching all the standards and objectives that need to be taught because, of course, you do. It's important. But in the process of that, don't forget to leave time for fun. Don't fill every single spare second with, you know, different songs and activities that you forget to have fun with your kids and leave fun for that, okay? So, like I said, start with one book per thing you're wanting to teach, and that'll really help you get started. I'm going to come on here in a couple weeks with another episode, and I'll hopefully sound a little better than I do today, but with some of my favorite teaching resources to get started with and how I like to use them and why I like them. So that'll really help you. I hope you found this episode helpful, and if you did, I would love for you to share it with a friend who would find it helpful as well. And be sure to stay tuned next week. I have an amazing guest um episode that you do not want to miss. My guest is going to speak about her experience with teaching music and it's in a really, really helpful way and I cannot wait for you to hear it. All right, you guys have an amazing week and I hope you are enjoying your summer if you're on summer break and that you are just having so much fun resting and relaxing and I will be back on here next week. All right, you guys. Bye. Thank you so much for listening in to the elementary music teacher podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And while you're there, I would love for you to review the show and leave a rating on iTunes. To find out more about how I can help you gain momentum in your elementary music teaching career, head to the domestic where you'll find free downloads, courses, the blog and so much more. Continue teaching music and never doubt the impact you're making each and every day in the lives of your students.